The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. to the tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are super excited uh, to have you with us. It's a great weekend. It's a great day. Worship's already been fantastic. As I've said before, uh, uh, things change around here quite often, do they not? Some of you agree? Some of you are getting used to it, aren't you? Right? You know, and there's, I like change until things change, right? And then they change, and you're like, why is he standing on that part of the stage? And the anxiety builds and you're starting to wonder, right? Yeah. Just be honest. How many of you right now are like, that's weird and I don't know what's going on? Just put up your hand. Yeah, it's a couple honest people. The rest of you are like, oh, I like it. I like it. He's further away. Good. <laughs> These people right over here are like, uh, honey, next week let's sit over there, right? That's what we're thinking. So uh, we'll explain that uh, if you come to our next meeting, which is tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, there's a reason for it. Uh, our next meeting is, it has everything to do with here at the Tabernacle. We believe that God has us on a journey. We believe that God has something next for us as a church. You know, we've been saying for a while that we don't believe that uh, uh, bringing us this far is because God is now finished with us. He's got something next for us. And so we're inviting everyone who calls this church, their church home, uh, to come tonight at 6 o'clock right here for, it's not going to be a long meeting, it's a short meeting, uh, there's coffee to keep you fueled, right, we've got the Holy Spirit and we got coffee, praise God, right, that's awesome, one's way more important than the other, um, but we want to share with you a little bit about our vision for multi-site, our vision for Manistee and what's next, and so we encourage you to be there. Now I have a huge fear, and it was actually articulated, uh, I shouldn't say fear, it's a concern, it's, it, it, it might happen. Somebody said it to me last night. He said, John, you know, most people here, they're just okay with it, so they probably won't show up, right? It's like, okay, hey, yeah, whatever, let's do it, let's go, I'm on board, I'm not going to be the squeaky wheel, and so you're thinking right now, I don't need to go to that, because I trust that, let's go. I still want you to be there, because in order for us, I think as a church, to take those 20 seconds of courage and step out of the boat, individually and corporately, to be water walkers, we're going to all have to buy in. So it doesn't matter if you're a member or not. Uh, if you can you know, show up, that'd be great, or send a representative of your family, that would be cool. Uh, that there will be a Q&A time. And it'll also serve, I think, as a little bit of inspiration 
as we pray about what God would have us give for our next offering, which we've been talking about, and that's going to happen the weekend before Thanksgiving. Last two years, uh, we've done a Thanksgiving offering, and, and this is going to go to fund what's next. And so I'm excited about what God's people here at the tabernacle uh, are going to do and how we're going to get behind that. But this morning, we're in this series called Free, and we've been looking at the gospel, is specifically through this last part of Romans, how it articulates how it sets us free and what it sets us free for, Right? We know that God, in Christ, dying on a cross, set us free from sin and death. We've heard that before here at the church, correct? All right, we're going to have to work a little bit harder. Last week, I preached at Mosaic Midtown, highly African-American inner city church, all right? And so you've got to show me why God's called me here, all right? There's a gentleman... Uh, didn't look like he had very much, kind of uh, uh, beat up clothes. After that service, he came up and he said, Pastor John V, I just want to say one thing. You laid it down. And he walked away, right? <laughs> it's a far cry from good speech. Walk away. All right, so here's the deal. Jesus came, died on a cross as a sacrifice, an atonement. He paid for our sins so we could be set free from sin and death. Do we believe that? Hey, that's a little bit better. All right, sweet. Okay. But this part is what's he set us free for? What's he set us free for is the tail end of Romans. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to look and study at an, you know, just another bit of scripture here, because the one this morning that he set us free from, or for, the topic, I think is going to be very instructive for some of us, and for some of us, it might be the next step in setting us free. We're going to start in verse 7, and we'll read to 13. Paul starts here just kind of by reviewing where they've gone through uh, 13 and 14. He says, Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, the heir to David's throne will come, and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. And then he concludes by saying, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So just a quick review, because whenever someone's kind of reading scriptures out loud, some of us start thinking about the pot roast. Some guys are wondering, when was the last time I put bait out by the deer stand, right? And our minds can wander just a little bit. And, and so we kind of half pay attention. So just to capture that for us a little bit, he reminds us, because we've been set free, remember to accept each other. 
Remember to serve each other. And because Paul knows that we're human and and our flesh is still wrestling with the spirit, that's going to be difficult. He tells us why. He says, remember God's true to his word. In other words, you can trust him. You can have faith in him. And then he gives us not one, not two, not three, but four Old Testament prophecies as proof. He's speaking to the Roman church, which is predominantly non-Jewish. There's some Jews there, right? But a lot of these converts are Gentiles. They're Gentiles, non-Jewish. Just like most of us here in northern Michigan. Most of us at the tabernacle. And so he says, as proof, here's four prophecies from the Old Testament that God didn't just come to set Jewish people free. He came to set Gentiles free. Are we grateful for that? Absolutely. And he says, if from the beginning of time, if if before the New Testament, if before the cross, before the coming of Christ, he made these promises that this freedom, this gospel, this salvation is not just for Jews, it's also so Gentiles can praise him. That's the proof he's laying down. In that sense, Paul is very much like a preacher's kid, right? Preacher's kids make very good lawyers. Right? Because we know how to argue our way out of trouble, argue every side of the issue. We're chameleons. It's a long story. I have issues. Okay? But that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, here's one. Oh, here's another. Here's another. Here's another. Okay, we get it, Paul. And then he starts talking about hope. Just say hope one time. That's what the sermon today is about. That's what this text is about. Paul is saying that we are free to hope. What do you hope for? What do you hope for? What's, what are the hopes in your life? You know, some of us, we find ourselves hoping, oh man, I just hope that, you know, here I'm 47 years old, man, I just hope I eventually grow to be six feet tall. That's not a hope, that's a wish, right? Wish, hope, two totally different things. You know, or some of us, man, I just hope that, you know, one day I'll make it into the NBA. You're not going to make it into the NBA. Who wants to be in the NBA anyways, Right? Sorry, I'm just seeing if you're there you know, with me. We have wishes, we have hopes. I can sit here and hope that I shoot a trophy buck this year. That's what I want to do. But unless I ever get out into the deer stand, it just stays a wish. And wishes and hopes are two different things. Now, the ones I shared with you are pretty facetious. What about the serious hopes that we bring in here today? Right? Some of us has, have, have hope for healing Some of us have hope for healing for our bodies or healing for a relationship, healing for a marriage. Some of us have hopes that before we die, we might actually get our finances in order so we're not always living paycheck to paycheck. Some of us have hopes for our children. Oh, I just hope that that guy just leaves my daughter alone, get out of her life. Can we just off him? No, you can't. That's murder. We can have a conversation though. Some of us have hopes for our husband or hopes for a spouse or hopes for our church, hopes for our community. But a wish and a hope, very different things. You know, I was talking last night about wishes and I've said this before too, you know, I remember being a little kid and, and, and dreaming, what if, what if a genie actually did come out of the lamp and what if, you know, what if someone said to you like a magical fairy, you know, said, hey, I'll give you one wish, any wish in the world. There's only one answer to that, right? Right? If someone offers you one wish, what do you wish for? More wishes, of course, because we're greedy and we're wicked. 
and we're never satisfied, right? We're not talking about wishes. We're talking about hope that is based in reality. But more than that, this morning we're talking about biblical hope. Because I can have worldly hopes or I can have biblical hope. And church, listen to me. This is why it's important. Many of us in this room, watching online, listening online, are Christians, are men, women, students, and we have faith, but we have no hope. We're living hopelessly. We're living hopeless lives. See it all the time. When you go through the Christian life, one foot in front of the other, show up to church, serve, give your money, sing, laugh at all the preacher's stupid jokes, you know, uh, come to the next meeting. And, and, and there's no real hope that anything will ever change. Yeah, I'm a Christian, Bill's a Christian, but he is what he is, and I am what I am, and there's no hope. And there's a problem with that, a huge problem. It's a faith problem. And Paul speaks of it right here. In verse 13, this is what he says. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if God's word is true, if there are no wasted words, if this truly is inspired, what Paul is saying is that if you're connected to God, you're connected to hope. So if you're not connected to hope, you're not connected with God. Hope's a part of faith. In fact, I would describe it like this. Hope is a confident expectation. It's not a wishful thinking. Hope is a confident expectation. Let me put it to you like this, theologically speaking. You can understand this, right? Faith, that's believing in God. But it's more than that. It's being certain, it says in Hebrews. It's having assurance that there is a God. His word is true. That's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Scripture says. You must have faith. It's only by faith that we are saved. Does anyone believe this? We believe this, right? This is Christianity 101. If not, we need to go back, start over. People need the Lord. Come down and let's have an altar call. It's by faith, Christians. That means it's not how good you are. It's not the list, you know, the laundry list of do good things that you do. It's only by faith. By faith, we are saved. Do we believe that? Okay, so here's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And just the tiny mustard seed level of faith will save you. Hope is a subset of faith. You see, faith, I have faith that there is a God right now. I have faith that there's a God who has claimed me as his own and I'm his child. I have faith that God has forgiven the sins of my past and will continue to forgive my sins right now. That's faith. Are you still with me? This is what hope is. Hope is faith in the future. 
Hope is a confident expectation for not just the future, but my future. And this is not prosperity gospel. This isn't where I go, listen, if everybody makes a donation of X amount of dollars, you're going to be blessed four, five, eight, tenfold, and we're all going to be rich, and I'll start a, mark a, you know, a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme, Ponzi deal, scandal, the tabernacle's done. This is not where we do that. This is not TV preacher fest. Are you with me? This is hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation for my future. Hope is future faith. You see how it's connected to faith. And the reason this is important is because hope determines my actions today. So in other words, what I have faith for tomorrow, what I believe about tomorrow, what my hope is, this confident expectation about tomorrow, is going to determine how I act right now. Well, how do you get that confidence? How do you get that confident expectation? Because honestly, some of us have given up hope. We've given up hope. I don't believe that's the way God wants us to live, not if his word is true. So let me illustrate this. You knew I was going to go there, right? So I have the privilege to coach a high school soccer team. All right? So watch this. Watch this. We're little old Buckley, Michigan. Blinking light, no account town. Right? We got some great athletes. We got some hardworking kids. They have jobs. They do 4-H. They feed the cows in the morning. Right? They hunt. They play three sports. They love their school. And they come out to play soccer. And in this last week, we've been pitted against some of the giants of Division Four in northern Michigan. Club soccer players, elite. I, I, I'm not trying to start a class warfare thing, but, but uh, uh, private schools, you know, with wrapped buses and everything. You know, they have all the riches to make Solomon blush, right? Okay. And high ranking, and, and, and they just got unbelievable players. We faced... The toughest, the best high school soccer team I've ever seen. And I know it because I scouted them twice, right? And so we're facing this high school soccer team on Tuesday night. And I know that our team does a couple things really, really well. One thing they do really well is they defend. They defend really well. They understand that and they're disciplined and they understand that none of them individually are actually spectacular soccer players, but collectively they're disciplined and, and we play a certain system that, that honestly just doesn't let the other team score. And we have an outstanding goalkeeper. Hang on a second, buddy, okay? And we have an outstanding goalkeeper as well. And so we decided that, you know, we have hope here. We've got hope. And the hope is we've watched how they've prepared all season so we can be confident going into this game. And so on Tuesday night, we decided to defend for 80 minutes, confident that we could prevent them from scoring. And one other thing we kind of do well is we counterpunch, we counterattack. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, David can still beat Goliath. I told him the story. I don't care. Public school, whatever. It's history. They executed the plan perfectly. And on Tuesday night, against all the odds, in a penalty kick shootout after an overtime, 
Buckley beats Goliath. And the crowd goes wild. Well, the problem is Goliath's got little brothers. And so we found another giant on Thursday night in the regional final. And I'm telling you this story to say, I found myself like this on the sideline. Everything's the same. Defend, defend, defend. 90% possession for them. 10% possession for us. And now overtime. And now we're going to penalties. And I'm like this, same place on the sideline. The village of Buckley's right there. Same player, same goalkeeper. Here we go. And guess what? I, I'm not lying to you. This sermon came into my brain. And I'm like, oh, I see, God. This is what hope is. This is what we've played for. We know from how we've performed that good things can happen here. And here we are again. Our players are walking out there going, hey, we got this, coach. These guys have no business being here. Hey, we got this, coach. We've done this before. We know how this goes. And again, Giant's little brother caved, right? And I'm sitting there thinking about the sermon. Oh, I got to snap out of it. I got to coach. Hope is a confident expectation that something good's going to happen. And can I tell you something? The other things going through my mind... Because I'm always having a conversation with God. It went like this. I wasn't necessarily praying to win. You know what I was praying about? I was sitting there going, God, help me to remember that my identity is not wrapped up in this. Help me to remember that, man, this has been great no matter what happens. God, help me to remember to be a man and not act like a boy because i got to lead these boys and girls today. No matter what the result is, help me to remember to be humble in victory and humble in defeat. God, help me to remember that there's way more important things than soccer. Right? Because my hope, God, is in you. Way more important than penalty kick shootouts and going to the final four. But have you ever been in that place where you're hopeful, but, but, it's, but it's really based in truth? You're like, this is really good. Nobody knows that our goalkeeper, Joey Weber, is part cat. <laughs> Born in the wild. It's a confident confident hope and so that confident expectation determined our actions and a good result came of it and to be honest even if we hadn't won that game it still would have been a good result because we'd have gone all the way to the last minute with the two best teams that we've ever seen in Michigan but there's something even more profound about biblical hope more than just a soccer match, more than just the little things that we work for. You see, it says over here in verse 8, something that's profound for us to understand. When he was reminding us of why we can accept and why we can serve, he says, remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he makes. Where's your confident expectation? And how good your goalie is? Where's your confident expectation? And how well your team can defend? Where's your confident expectation? He tells us where this God, the source of all hope, this is where we put our confident expectation, church, that God is true to his promises. If you're living hopeless... You're actually living faithless because hope is a subset of faith. And if you're faithless and hopeless is because 
We don't understand what God's promises are. We don't know what God's promises are. Hopefully not because we don't believe in God's promises. Because right there, there's a verse. There's a verse. There's a verse. That God is true to his promises. That's where our confident expectation comes. So hope is a faith in God's promises. It's a confident expectation. Hope is faith in God's promises. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, articulates it this way in his works, The Weight of Glory. And this is what he says. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Man, the first time I read that, everything that I thought that I hoped for seemed to change. Because if you didn't catch that, this is what C.S. Lewis is saying. Is He's saying that the things that we find ourselves wishing for and kind of in our flesh hoping for are nothing compared to what God has promised us. So we're settling for something less. We're like a child sitting in a slum and all he or she has to do is play in the mud and make mud pies. And someone comes up to this child and says, I can clean you up, I can take you out, I'm going to give you a holiday on Lake Michigan on the beach, I'm going to take you to the ocean, a thing you've never seen and it's salty and it's perfect, right? And the child says, no, I'll make the mud pies. That's when we find ourselves pursuing these wishes and these worldly hopes instead of this confident expectation, trusting in the promises of God. That's where infinite joy is. Are you hopeless today? Have you given up hope on something? Don't give up hope. That's giving up on faith. Hopelessness is faithlessness about the future. And Paul says that Christ set us free to have a confident expectation in the future. Faith in the promises of God. So the only thing left for us is, my view is to talk about some of God's promises, to be reminded of some of God's promises. Would that work for you? I thought I'd share a few with you. 21 to be exact. 21 point message. Ready? Come on, this is a tabernacle, man. If you wanted something easy, stay home and watch on TV. Ready? Because God's promises, if they're true and we believe in God and His word is true and He's true to His word, we can have hope. And if we can have hope, we have faith for the future. But we don't have to live hopelessly. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, God's word says that God is found by seekers. God is found by seekers. His word says you will seek me and or, or you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you're here today and you're seeking God, there's a promise for you. You can have hope that you will find him. You will have a relationship with him because God promises that those who seek him, they're not going to be left scrambling in the dark. They're going to find him. 
God is found by seekers. That's a promise. In the same chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says that God's near in prayer. God's near in prayer. Do you believe that? See, what that means is is that when you pray, God draws near. God comes near. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be on staff. You don't have to be a Christian for a long time. The tiniest child praying a memorized prayer before he or she falls asleep, God is near. You cry out to God, it says in scripture, cry out to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable thing. That's a promise. God does not lie. So you can have hope that when you pray, you pray, God is near. Oh, but I'm sinful. Oh, welcome to the club. When you pray, God is near. That's a promise. We can have hope. In 1 John, we have a promise that God forgives sins. God forgives sins. How many times does someone, you know, say, oh, I could never come to church because, uh, you know, there's just so much sin in my life. Oh, I could never, you have no idea what I've done. The scripture promises us that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why is he just to forgive us our sins? Because Jesus died for those sins, so he has to forgive us of our sins. He promised that he would. If you're sitting there living in the past, you have no hope for the future because you don't have enough faith that God forgave your sins of the past, nor that when you stand before him that that's enough. You can have hope. You can have a confident expectation because God forgives sins. In Romans chapter 1, it says that God saves by faith. What a good deal. God saves by faith. I'm going to keep saying it till it sinks in. God saves by faith. That's a promise. By faith. Faith alone. God saves. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that when I'm saved by faith, that God adopts me as his child. I'm called his. Have you prayed? And in faith, have you asked God to make you his own? You're adopted. Your royalty. You belong to the king. You're a son or a daughter of God. I don't care what happened last night. You might need to address that situation later. But you're still a child. God adopts me. It says in that same chapter in Ephesians chapter 1, because I'm adopted, that God blesses me. The children of God are blessed by God. That's a promise. And that blessing may not be the blessing you're wishing for, It will be what God decides that he wants to bless you with. But there is a promise. The children of God will be blessed. We're blessed. In 2 Corinthians, it says that God makes me new. Do you believe that? There's a scripture I had to memorize. I memorized it when I was 20 years old. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Some of us, we give up too early. We give up too quickly. We've been entirely changed by God because we prayed that prayer and God came near. We were seeking God and God saves me and God has forgiven me. And then His Holy Spirit, God Himself, comes and resides in me and I've been changed. And then we're looking at a mirror going, well, don't look any different. Well, bro, you're still as ugly as you were when you came out of mama, all right? 
We didn't give you an extreme, you know, plastic surgery. All right? But make no mistake, you've been changed. You're new. That's a promise. That's a promise. And you can have, there's hope for you because you're new on the inside. Not only does he make me new, in John 10.10, it says that God gives us abundant life. This is a used and abused scripture verse where where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Church, we're going to camp here just for a minute. Some of you have given up on the possibility of ever having an abundant life. Your life in Christ is drudgery, is duty, It's one foot in front of the other. You're just waiting for death. I'm married to this person. The spark's gone out. Just try to keep the kids out of jail. Just hope I can pay the bills. No real joy. I mean, your joy is a new Amazon, you know, or Netflix binge. And there's no real joy. That's not the life God promised. Nothing wrong with the Netflix binge. But we can have hope for an abundant life, a life that has peace, a life that has meaning, a life that has purpose, a life that has satisfaction, a life that matters, a life that can be a domino used by God. That's an abundant life, a life that is hopeful, not hopeless, a life that is faithful, not faithless. That's a promise. And if it's not true, what good is God's word? Just a bunch of wise sayings. We're promised abundant life. In Psalm 121, I can have hope because God protects me. That's a promise. It says that he protects me. It doesn't mean that I might not get sick. It doesn't mean that I might not have an accident. It does not mean that... I'm going to have just, you know, a little halo around me all the time and there's not going to be trials and tribulations. It doesn't mean that. But it means in the eternal sense, in the sense beyond penalty kicks and mud pies, that he's going to protect me for all eternity. I have protection. Scripture says nothing, nothing can snatch me from his hand. John 10 says that God holds me securely. Right? And then we have all these sayings. The safest place in the world is in the center of God's hand. Sometimes it's the most unsafe place in the world to be in the center of God's hand. But you know what? You're secure there. You can have hope there. He's in control. He's a sovereign God and he's in charge. Do we believe that? These are the promises of God. And I know there's a lot of them. But I believe in my heart that one of these is for you. Maybe two. Maybe three. I don't know. Maybe all 21. We're called to have hope. We're free to hope. It says in Matthew 6 that God supplies my needs. God supplies my needs. I may not have a vacation home. I may not have a perfect retirement plan. But God will provide what I need. There's a difference between what I need and what I want. I'm always having this conversation with my kids. I need a new iPad. This nice one that I had, I smashed on the ground and broke it because I had a tantrum. And can I get a new phone? I need the iPhone 84S Plus 4QT. Okay, there's some things you need, and there's some things you want, all right? 
The only electronic device you need is a tracker that I'm going to put under your skin, okay? <laughs> and what you want, well, you can save up for that. There's a, but God says he'll supply what we need. That's a promise. We can have hope that he supplies what we need. In Matthew 11, there's a promise. God gives me rest. Some of us, we're just so tired. We're just worn out. We just go from one thing to the next, and, and we have no hope for rest, so we don't see those little stopover moments that God provides where we can refuel spiritually. Do you believe and have hope that God gives rest? He said He would. He said He does. In Psalm 1, it says that God's Word blesses me, specifically speaking of the Scriptures. You know, and, and, and you know, some of us, when you hear us say, hey, if you're a woman, join a women's Bible study. Hey, if you're a couple, maybe join a home group. Hey, students, there's an opportunity to go deeper on Wednesday nights after the junior high youth group. You can go deeper in God's word. Hey, men, you can still come to Fight Club. Oh, they're just trying to sell me something. I don't have time for that. No, we're not trying to sell you something. We're not trying to steal more of your time. There's a verse, Psalm 1, time spent in God's word. You will be blessed. We're trying to give you something. And we say no because we're hopeless. Who wants a blessing? Who would like a blessing? There's one for free right there. We can have hope that God's word blesses me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a promise that God comforts me in trials. Some of you are in the middle of a really tough time right now. God promises comfort in your trials. He's near to you there. In Philippians chapter 4, in the midst of those trials, it says that God gives me peace. In Acts chapter 1, it says that because the Holy Spirit lives in me, God gives me power. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I know God wants me to be obedient here, but I can't do it. You're faithless. You're hopeless. Because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You know, I'd like to think that if, that if everything changed in this country, as some of you militia guys still worry about, you know they're coming for the preachers first. I don't know if that'll ever come in my lifetime. I, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't care. But I want to think in that moment, if I had the opportunity to deny my faith or stand before the firing squad, God will give me power. Stand. That's hope. That's faith. Romans chapter 8, it says that God makes things work. He says, all things work together for the good of them that love God. Do you believe that? That's a promise. Things are so terrible. God's punishing me. No, he's not. He's not punishing, maybe disciplining you, but he already punished Jesus. Can't discipline you or can't punish you. You're in the middle of a hard time. If you're a woman and you're in the middle of a hard time, I want to say this to you. God works all things together for the good of those that love him, even when you can't see it. If you're a man here today, I'm going to put it in man talk. If you're in the middle of a tough time, man, suck it up, buttercup. Because God's working all things together for your good, for our good, for His glory. And you have the power. 
Philippians chapter 1, it says God finishes his work. What he started, he is faithful to complete. First Chronicles, it says that God's love never fails. In John 14, it says that God will return for me. He's coming back. First Peter 1, it says when he comes back, God will give me an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And in John chapter 4, God gives me eternal life. Hopelessness is faithlessness. And we've been set free so we can hope. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He gave us a practical and tactical opportunity to display our hope. It says, after the dinner, He took bread and broke it, and He said, take and eat this in remembrance of Me. This is My body. It's broken for you. He's talking about His sacrifice. And then He took the cup, and He said, this cup is the new covenant of My blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. He says, until I come. Wait a minute. That's future. You get that future faith? Until I come. You got to believe he's coming to participate in the Lord's table in communion. I believe he's coming. And so until he comes, I take the bread And I take the cup as a reminder, but more than that. As a step of faith, but more than that. It's a confident expectation. It's hope that he's coming and that he's true to his promises. And if he's true to that promise, he's true to the 21 I just read to you. And the one that stuck out to you, that was for you today. The one that you're here to hear, God knew and he put it on that list. There's tons more promises in his word. By the way, remember that's a promise. If you read it, you'll be blessed. I don't know what God's saying to you today, but I believe He's saying to all of us, don't be hopeless, be hopeful. Don't be faithless, be faithful. He set us free so we can be men and women free to hope. Free to hope and to live hope-filled lives. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I pray this morning as Christians take communion. God, that you would remind us again of why we do it. God, that whatever by your spirit was meant for us to hear today, you would work deep into our souls. Into that place where it will determine how we act today and tomorrow and from here on. God, would you give us courage to live with hope? Not wishful thinking, but confident expectation in who you are and what you said, what you promised you would do. God, help us not to live for the mud pies that ooze through our fingers. You can't even capture them. But God, help us to live for the joy that you've promised. This is for your glory. God, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Church, if you're a Christian, as a declaration of your hopefulness, we invite you to come when you're ready to partake of communion.
If you're not a Christian, if you're not in a place to do that, just stay where you're seated. We won't look any differently at you. That's nobody else's business. But when you're ready, church, you come.